Well, it's good to have everyone here again this morning. Uh, if you're new or visiting or watching online for the first time today, then we are going through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation in 31 chapters over 31 weeks. And uh, through a, a resource called The Story, which lays the Bible out in chronological order and gives us a picture of God's big plan unfolding over those 31 chapters. John, do you want to back off my mic a little bit? It's just a little bit peaky. So, um, yeah. Doing all right? Cool, okay. Um, did you know today in this series, we actually reach a milestone? Yes. Just drop, yeah. So just drop my slide down, 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 until the noise goes away. It better? Better? Okay, lovely. No? <laughs> Do you want me to... We can't mute me. <laughs> <coughs> Can everyone hear me? Just... Uh, there's no... Excuse me, I'll come and... Ha I'm, I might have to have a look at it myself. Okay, so where are we here? Alrighty, so that should be right. Coming through. Yep, alright. That's better. Lovely. Alright, ready to go. Um, milestone. We have a milestone today. Chapter. 21 is the end of the Old Testament. We got there. We are the whole of the Old Testament in 21 weeks. Congratulations. And you know what's really exciting about today is actually that with the turn of every page, the heartbeat of God has grown louder and louder as we get closer and closer <coughs> to the climactic point of God's story. Everything that we have read so far points us to Jesus. The whole thing is pointing us forward to Jesus. Now, I'm excited about what we're going to talk about today because I'm telling you, though, you're not going to want to miss the rest of this term because it's getting into the really good stuff in the New Testament. So, please do make sure that you make every effort to be here for the rest of this term. And you know what? It's also a perfect time to invite somebody else along. Maybe there's a friend or a neighbour or someone you've been working with even, someone you've been praying for to bring along to church. Well, you know, next week's the perfect opportunity as we start talking more and looking at the story and life of Jesus and his teachings. And I think we cover now, I think, for nearly six weeks on Jesus' teachings. And you never know when a simple invitation could be a turning point in someone else's life. Towards the end of summer, uh, a few families uh, headed down to Benal one Sunday evening to watch an outdoor cinema. Um, we went, the Thomases and some others were there, and plenty of people were at this. And the movie they showed was Sing 2. Now, I'm not sure if you've seen Sing or Sing 2, but this sort of tells the story of this musical theatre group of animals 
who um, try to put on shows, basically. And uh, what, what happens is that um, uh, th this movie was, you know, big blow-up screen, and it was really lovely, and there was an ice cream truck there, and the thing, I was so surprised that this ice cream truck, the line at the ice cream truck never went away the whole night, and it wasn't necessarily a warm night, um, and it was only as we were leaving we found out that the reason the line stayed as long as it did was that they were free. Devastating. We could have got free ice cream and missed out, but that's okay. Um, <coughs> now, I'm not sure if you've seen these movies, though, but the, 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 about an hour, just after an hour in, which is plenty of time to solve any problem in a good kid's movie, the plot takes an unexpected twist. Main characters had found themselves in a big mess in their pursuit to clean it up, they made an even bigger mess. Now I'm thinking either this movie is going to go a bit longer than the normal kids movie, um, or we've just scarred our children by taking them to the first animated Greek tragedy for children. Um, and I thought, well, I'll just leave now. Nah, done, this thing's over, you know. But we kept watching and apparently everyone had more faith in the writers than I did. And uh, I guess, you know, things were hard to see how they're going to end well. But we all want our happy endings, and so we stayed and watched. And uh, the problem was, though, all I could see at that point was just everything was a big mess. Have you ever found yourself in a mess? Of course we all have. Maybe like the characters in the movie, you've even tried to fix it and made it even messier. Who's been there? Life is messy. If you didn't raise your hand, then you're just shy or lying. Um, people can be messy. You know, maybe for you it's financial mess, a mess of a marriage, a mess of your marks, a mess of addiction. Maybe it's not a mess you made, but just the result of living in a messy world. Messy politics that has you wondering how it's all going to turn out. Messy economy that makes you wonder how you're going to afford to pay the mortgage or cover the rising cost of everything. Messy relationships that have left you bitter and angry. Where could the story possibly go from here? If, is there any chance for a, for a happy ending? A chance to start over? And if so, where do we start? Well, I think some of the answers can be found in our chapter today that centres around the nation of Israel who had some starting over to do. Let's pray as we delve into chapter 21. Mm -hmm. Heavenly Father, we ask that you come and speak to us now through your word. As we look at this story of Nehemiah, Lord, would you open our hearts and ears to hear from you? Lord, we are in a messy world and Lord, so many of us are in a messy life. And Lord, would you give us clear indications, Lord, of, of how we could, could maybe have that fresh start, how we might start over. Lord, guide us, lead us, and speak to us, I pray. Amen. So let's take a look at how we've gotten here. There are two stories unfolding. One is God's beautiful upper story of his pursuit of his people to bring them back to a relationship with him. Then there's the lower story of how uh, things are lived out through his people. And well, most of the time, if we're being honest, 
it really looks like one big mess, the whole thing, just about. I mean, look, over the last 21 weeks, for example, we've seen lots of points in history where it would have been easy for God to scrap the whole plan. And who would have blamed him? I mean, Adam and Eve rejected God's plan. Instead uh, of displaying his glory, they wanted it for themselves. Abraham, well, he lied about Sarah and said she wasn't his wife. She even let her husband sleep with another woman, then hated her for it. Jacob was a pathological deceiver. Moses had a real issue with his temper. King David, he committed adultery and then murdered her husband to cover it up. The prophets dealt with depression, impurity, unfaithful spouses and broken families. The nation of Israel would turn away from God and they would become divided. They were not without hope, however, because God was not without a plan. But their disobedience had come at a high cost. In 586 BC, their homeland would be ravaged by the Babylonians. Solomon's temple destroyed. Their people sent away to a foreign land. Where could the story possibly go from here? If it were a movie, I might be tempted to head for the exit. Go catch something a little happier, maybe. Something to pick you up. Maybe that's the way you felt as you've been reading through the Old Testament. But as you've probably figured out, the story is far from over. God was not finished with his people. He'd made a covenant, a promise to his people that he would bring them back, back to Jerusalem and back to himself. And when God makes a covenant, he keeps it unconditionally. This is the truth the Israelites would discover and I believe holds true for us today is that your mess is no match for God's mercy. Your mess is no match for God's mercy. Seventy years had passed and just as God had promised, the Jews began to return to Jerusalem. The temple would be rebuilt But the walls of the city were still lying in ruin. A constant reminder of Israel's brokenness and disgrace. This is where we're introduced to Nehemiah. Some 70 years later, we find him living in style, 800 miles away from Jerusalem in Persia. He was a cupbearer to the king. One of the things he would do was taste the king's wine to make sure it wasn't poisoned. A fairly trustworthy position, no doubt. Kind of like the things I do for for Lyle at times. No, I'm joking. (laughs) But Nehemiah receives word about Jerusalem and it absolutely wrecks him. You see this in your Bibles in Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 3. They said to me, Those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept for some days. I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him, and keep his commandments. Let 
your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant is praying before you the uh, sorry let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants the people of Israel I confess the sins we Israelites including myself and my father's family have committed against you out of great empathy for people he had never met, he wept. He mourned, fasted, and prayed. See, Nehemiah knew what was at stake. This was not just about the physical renewal of a city, but spiritual renewal for God's people. Notice where it all starts for Nehemiah. Rebuilding starts with prayer. The temptation is so strong when we find ourselves in a mess to, to, to say, what am I going to do? Nehemiah immediately, he goes immediately to the only one who can do anything about it. And what does he do in prayer? He begins by reminding himself of who God is. He is great and awesome. He is God who keeps his covenant of love. Then he asks God to hear his prayer as he confesses sin. If you're looking for spiritual renewal, a place to start over, prayer is the place to start. He prays for success with the king and God grants it. Nehemiah, like Esther, who we read about last week, believes so much that this mess is no match for God's mercy, that he's willing to put his life on the line and he goes before the king. It turns out Nehemiah's faith was well-placed. Nehemiah would say, because the gracious hand of God was on me, the king granted my requests. And the king did more than just grant his requests. He sent him with everything he would need for not only safe travel, but also the materials to rebuild the wall. Amazing that God moves in the heart of civic leaders like that to not only provide safe passage, but also the materials. He basically funded this project. God, as he often does, is working through the rulers of all nations to write his story. Because of the safe passage set by the king, Nehemiah makes good time getting to Jerusalem. But here's another lesson on rebuilding. Once again, we see his, this pattern. He doesn't jump to action right away. I'm the kind of guy that jumps to action right away. Get it done. Move on. Let's get this thing happen. Yes. But no, he prays and observes the situation himself. And then and only then, does he go to the people? Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in? Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. And they replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this 
good work. The people were eager to get started, but not everyone shared their enthusiasm. Some, like Sanballat, the governor of Samaria, stood to lose political ground and accused him of rebelling against the king. That obviously wasn't true, but when that didn't work, they tried to discourage him. Look at this. Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 3. Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, What they are building, even a fox climbing up on it, would break down their wall of stones. What does Nehemiah do? He returns to prayer as his enemies return to the drawing board. Their next strategy, well, if they can't, you know, ridicule and mock him and get him to stop it, well, they then plotted to kill him. As the walls went up, so did the blood pressure of the enemy. By the way, Sambalats and Tobias still roam the earth. Maybe you've met some of them. <laughs> Try to do right and they'll do you wrong. Try to pull yourself up, they will pull you down. Be prepared. Don't be caught off guard. Notice what Nehemiah did in the rest of chapter 4, verse 8. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. I love this because it's prayer and action. Maybe sometimes we do the prayer bit, but then we don't take the action that's also required. I mean, you've heard of the guy on the boat who was, um, you know, on, the, on his roof as the floodwaters were coming around. And uh, he's praying to God, God, please rescue me. And so this boat comes along with these people and says, come on, come on. No, 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 no. God's going to rescue me. And so it went off. And then, you know, another, you know, rises up more and more. And another uh, vessel comes past, you know. No, 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 God's going to save me. And all of a sudden, this helicopter is on the very peak of the roof. And this helicopter's on the roof, you know, sends someone. And no, 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 God's going to rescue me. And this guy drowns. And he gets to heaven. And he says to God, God, I prayed that you would rescue me. And he goes, how hard is it? I sent you two boats and a helicopter. Sometimes we've got to do the action as well as prayer. Verse 13, Therefore I stationed some of the people behind the lowest point of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears and bows. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials and the rest of the people, Don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. Sometimes I think we forget to fight for the things that we love. Sometimes I think we let other things win and influence us and shape us more than what we are prepared to fight. But we should be prepared to fight for what's important. We should be prepared to fight for our faith, to fight for things that God has impassioned us about, has placed on our hearts. We should be prepared to fight. 
And in verse 17, those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. And each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. You know, talking about being prepared for the task at hand. That's some pretty decent preparation that goes there. He posted entire communities and families at the lowest point of the wall at the exposed places. So the work of rebuilding could continue and protect the workers at the same time. Some would have a brick in one hand and weapon in the other. And the same holds true for us. We all have exposed places in our life. Places of vulnerability and weakness. The question is, who's standing guard for you? Are you trying to do life alone or do you have others who can strengthen your defence in the places that you're most vulnerable? It's an important question for anyone wanting to start over. In Nehemiah's case, this strategy frustrated the enemy so much, they never as much made a move. God's people had not given up, but neither had the enemy. There was one last card to play. One powerful last-ditch effort. And it's powerful because most of us never see it coming. They simply sought to distract. See, rebuilding requires focus. If they can't discourage him, if they can't kill him, then they'll try and distract Nehemiah. Nehemiah had rebuilt the walls, but not the doors in the gates. So Sanballat and Geshem, they sent this message to Nehemiah. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. And I think this is where Nehemiah said, oh no. (laughs) But they were scheming to harm me. So I sent messengers to them with this reply. Love this. I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Don't you love that question? Why should I go down to you? Don't you know I'm carrying on a great project? Do you wish you had a great project like Nehemiah? Don't you wish that sometimes? You imagine the the purpose that Nehemiah would have felt, that the anointing of God as provision flowed into this work, that the the, the provision was not only for, for the materials, but also the strategy and the ability. Don't you wish you had a great project? Well, do you know you do? It doesn't matter if you're single married, raising children, empty nesters, rich or poor, you've been given a great project. It might be raising children or mentoring someone or even being mentored to become more like Jesus. It might be praying with or for a co-worker. It might be a simple invitation to a neighbour to come with you here next week. It's probably not rebuilding a wall, maybe a fence, but probably not a wall, but it might be rebuilding a life. It might be starting with your own. 
And because your mess is no match for God's mercy, you can know just like Nehemiah, he will fight for you. And God, uh, sorry, did God ever fight for his people? You see, they finished the wall and they set the doors in place in a mere 52 days. Unheard of. And how did they respond? Did they pat each other on the back? Did they gather and say and have a nice big awards night as they open the envelope and the, the winner for the, the, the best wall constructor goes to Ezra. No, sorry, wrong, wrong envelope. It goes to Nehemiah. Do you reckon they did that? Pat themselves on the back, have a big party? No. They knew where to give honour. Notice what they did. They worshipped. Rebuilding leads to worship. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen. Amen. Then they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. As it turns out, the movie we went and saw actually had a very happy ending. And I was glad we didn't leave in the middle of the messiest bit. Because, like, you know, you miss out on then the best bits, don't you? You see, your mess is no match for God's mercy. His mercy has a name. His name is Jesus. And when you give your mess to him, God doesn't see what you've done. He only sees what Jesus has done at the cross. Let the cross be the final word on how your story ends. Do what Nehemiah did. Start with prayer. Stay focused and take time to worship. God was a faithful God to Nehemiah and he's the same God who will faithfully guide you. You know, sometimes I think we, we don't take all the opportunities that God gives us to pray, remain focused and worship. Sometimes we might start with prayer, things get off really well, but then we get so easily distracted. And that's not just in our prayers, but in our prayers too. It's really important though that we, we follow through and we don't take one step and go, that's enough. We take the next one and the next one and the next one closer to Jesus. Your mess is no match for God's mercy. I'm not sure about you, but there's been some messy moments in my life. There's been some, some moments of hurt and moments of pain that not only have been caused against me, that I've caused others. And sometimes I think pride gets in the way of us taking those steps to start over. No, no, no I'm all right. I can do this. I can deal with this. Or we're trying to do it on our own. We leave God out. There is such an opportunity for us to walk in freedom and the peace that passes all understanding.
when we pray, when we stay focused, and then we worship God, even in the messy bits. Because it's in those moments that the strength of God, I think, plays out the most beautiful tune in our lives as God's mercy is revealed in us. So if you are struggling through the mess of life right now, know deeply your mess is no match for God's mercy. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, each one of us have times in our lives that are really messy. We've probably all thinking of things right now where moments of the past, but Lord, there's also people who are thinking of issues that they are dealing with right now. And Lord, we come to you now in prayer and we ask for your mercy. Lord, restore what is broken. Heal what is damaged. Restore, Lord, Joy where there is sorrow. Hope where there is hopelessness. Lord, may we know this deeply indeed that our mess is no match for your mercy. But may we start in prayer and hand these circumstances and situations over to you. And then may we take action as you guide us and as you lead us. And as we act, Lord, may we stay focused and see it through. And Lord, may we take the moments to glorify you in worship. Lord, when we see the work of your hand at play in our lives, when we see relationships restored, when we see peace regained in our lives as we cast our cares and our burdens upon you. Lord, lead us and guide us, I pray. Amen. Well, that is where we end the Old Testament on the firm foundation of the mercy of God at play. So why don't we stand and sing Christ is our firm foundation. Mm -hmm.